The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'm happy that you all braved the cold weather to come here this morning. So I thought I'd start by um, talking about um, what made me interested in what I'm going to talk about today, which was spending six weeks in Houston this summer. So it was uh, often 95 degrees, 80 to 90% humidity. Um, Maybe that's a little hard to relate to right now. The temperatures are in their 30s and 40s. But um, yeah, I work as an atmospheric scientist for NASA. And so we had a research aircraft in Houston. And it was quite a big project. And there wasn't enough room in all of the air-conditioned side rooms in the hangar for all of the experimental groups. So I had to sit at a table in this unair-conditioned hangar. It was you know, often would get up to 95. The humidity would be 80% relative humidity or higher. And then also, while I was in the hangar, the plane was about a quarter of a mile away. So every time I needed to do something, I'd have to get up, you know, walk out to the plane in the, in the sun, get onto the plane. Uh, and it was quite busy. The, um, the guy that was in charge of the instrument that I was working on, who was absolutely crucial, he knew everything about the instrument and everything else, um, he had his appendix burst in the first week we were there. So he was off into the hospital, and, um, and then the second most important person, the person that knew about all of the software, his mother was dying, and so he had to be back home being with her as, as, as her life was ending. So I found myself in this hot, humid hangar feeling somewhat abandoned by the people that, that knew everything I needed to, to get this instrument to work, um, realizing there was nobody that was going to come to relieve me. You know, it was like I was it. Well, me and, and this other guy, uh, Glenn Saxe, and um, we were working long hours, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. So I was kind of sleep deprived. And I noticed something happening that doesn't happen very often for me. It was I noticed myself starting to swear. I was swearing a lot. You know, it's like, so I was like, oh yeah, frustration. You know, I was feeling frustration. Um, I was noticing how much I disliked being hot and sweaty for 12 hours at a time. You know, it's just like, ah, just, you know, this, it just shouldn't be like this, right? You know, I, I really shouldn't have to put up with this. So I was feeling sorry for myself. I was a little bit upset that more people weren't feeling sorry for me, <laughs> helping me somehow. Like, don't they see I'm miserable? You know, why, why aren't they... Why aren't they doing some doing more for me? Um, uh, frustration, and it wasn't too long be- before I started to realize, 
oh yeah, this is what the practice is about. Paying attention to suffering. Noticing it. Like, you know, I, I had started off by really, you know, trying to use some of my norm, more normal strategies of dealing with suffering, which is sort of pretend it's not there, pretend it's somebody else's fault or somebody else's responsibility. But this was just intense enough that I realized I'm not going to be able to get through six weeks in this condition. And so I said, oh yeah, mindfulness. Yeah, that's right. Mindfulness practice. I know about that. I can pay attention to this. So I started paying attention to, oh yeah. I I did what I called a sweating practice. I'd notice... Oh yeah, sweating. This is, this is what it's like to be sweaty. This is what it's like to be hot. And then as I noticed that, I go, well, you know, it's unpleasant. You know, I don't like it. It's unpleasant. But it doesn't have to consume all my mental energy. It doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be um, how I'm going to spend my summer vacation is... is um, And um, I shifted a little bit to not only noticing the heat and noticing being sweating and uncomfortable, but I started working with this question of how am I making this worse? You know, like I can't change the conditions. I mean, I did what I could, but I can't change the conditions how can I not make this worse? How can, I, how can I relate to this in some different way so that there's some kind of energy left to actually do the, inst- do the instrument work that I'm there to, to work on? So I found being in that environment, um, it was absolutely essential to pay attention to the... Uh, the unpleasantness or the, the suffering of, of working in that environment. And that really helped a lot. You know, it really made it like, oh yeah. Um, noticing being tired and often not knowing what to do. Something's not working and I don't know what to do. Glenn is off in the hospital relaxing in this nice hospital bed. <laughs> his wife by his side. Not that I didn't have empathy. I mean, you know, it was, it was you know, I mean, he, he could have died, you know. But still, you know, it was like, okay, so he's been there a day or two, but shouldn't he, shouldn't he be starting to think about this again? You know, you know surgery, yeah, you know, he's getting taken care of. So, uh, yeah, so I would notice frustration. Oh, so first I'd notice that I'm swearing. So I was doing swearing practice, which was noticing, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, there's frustration. You know, I'm feeling frustrated right now. Like, I don't really know what to do. There's something that's not working. And kind of at the technical level, I don't know how to fix this. Um, I had some 
ability to contact Glenn and ask him questions, and some ability to contact Mario, who um, was you know kind of at at his mother's bedside. So even though he was with her, he also was available to talk on the phone. So I found um, I started to tap into both inner resources and outer resources that I had to address the frustration. And also, um, notice what I was clinging to. You know, I was clinging to this idea. It, it just so happened that this was a brand new suite of instruments that our team thought we were going to have um, all put together and, and working flawlessly. And that wasn't happening. It, you know, it wasn't working flawlessly. And so, um, you know, kind of noticing the the uh, the tightness in my mind around, you know, there's this phrase, failure is not an option. I suspect that's useful in some environments. But you can really suffer a lot when you hold on to some notion that failure is not an option. In this case, it wasn't total failure, but we weren't going to, you know, we we were going to fail to meet all of the objectives that we had for the instruments. There just was no way around that. And but as long as I held on to thinking that we had to get it to all work, um, it made things. Um, pretty miserable. So about halfway through this mission, after about three weeks, I actually had a chance to come back home for four days. That was as much time as I had off. And I was able to go to the Insight Retreat Center for a few days with some of my friends and, and sat. And that was... Um, rejuvenating, you know, to kind of be with other people and and talk about this and get their support. In the time, in the four days I was away, it rained in Houston quite a bit. So when I came back, not only was it hot and humid, but the mosquitoes had come out. (laughs) So then I was sitting there and like, mosquitoes, mosquitoes, and everyone else is like slapping themselves. (laughs) It's like, oh, but I had learned, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can do mosquito practice. So I'd notice the mosquitoes land, and I'd say, well, from, I've, I've been told that the reason it itches is because they put um, anticoagulant into, underneath your skin so that they can get the blood out. And if you just wait, they'll retract the anticoagulant at the end. And... Um, it didn't always work. <laughs> so then I did itching practice. <laughs> you know, and you sit there and you notice, oh yeah, itching, itching. You know, and then noticing the impulse to scratch. Like, you know, like, okay. You know, maybe if I just scratch, you know, maybe <laughs> if I scratch it a little bit more, it'll stop itching. So, um, 
having grown up in Wisconsin where mosquitoes were kind of a fact of life in the summer, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I know that that doesn't work. So, um, again, you know, the practice was just noticing itching. It's unpleasant. And by my, being mindfulness of it, mindful of it, it doesn't go away, but it also doesn't have to be all-consuming. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, spending the whole day sitting there sweating, itching, sweating, itching. You know, I mean, it was, um, I, could, I could find some uh, spaciousness around it. So, and by the end of the mission, when I left, I felt um, that it had been a valuable practice. It had been kind of a, almost a retreat experience of being mindful of unpleasant. But, and I say a retreat experience because each one of those things, the, the frustration, the, the swearing, the sweating, and the itching, um, were pretty easy to notice. You know, they weren't, they weren't subtle. So it helped keep me motivated to, to pay attention, to be mindful, and notice how I was relating to those experiences. So when I came back, um, I started um, teaching with um, Shin Kwan and Diana and, and Kim, three of my friends and, and co-teachers, about the Eightfold Path. And the first um, path element that I that I was um, had the opportunity to talk about was the Four Noble Truths. So I'm curious if, if any of you or all of you have heard of the Four Noble Truths. Does, does that ring a bell? Okay. Yeah, so, the, um, so that's really at, at the center of this practice. You know? So we, we develop mindfulness. We do this mindfulness meditation. And there, there's a way in which you can just do mindfulness meditation and it'll bring a certain level of um, relaxation, you know, a certain reduction of stress. And for some people, that's, you know, all they're really looking for. But what the Buddha was, the path that he was describing, the path that, that, that we practice here, was about... finding a place of deep peace and freedom from suffering. And so the first of the Four Noble Truths is that there is suffering in life. It's the, the word is dukkha. And that that's worth um, paying attention to, to recognizing that when it's, when it's operating. And that 
in some ways that's an incredibly radical teaching because it goes against not only our cultural training, but I think you know maybe even some inner tendencies, which is when things are um, uncomfortable, we try to um, we have all sorts of strategies of trying to ignore it, ignore it, trying to cover it over, you know, distract ourselves doing other things. Um, Uh, blaming it on others um, or just wallowing in it and so it got me curious about this this dukkha how how willing am I to look at the the suffering in my life. And, you know, just that word, suffering, is, seems pretty heavy, right? You know, it's like, you know, suffering is like, you know, spending 40 years in the desert or, you know, um, being, you know, the long-suffering parent, you know, or the long-suffering spouse or something like that. Um are the long-suffering offspring. Yeah, very good. Uh, the long-suffering student, the long-suffering teacher. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to give some synonyms that are often used as translations for this word dukkha. And I thought maybe we'd do it in a kind of a meditative way. So um, if you... It looks like most of you are in, in some kind of a meditative posture. So just um, see if you can find some uh, posture that's relaxed and alert. And then I'll read this list of um, actually two different lists or definitions of dukkha. And just listen to these words and see if See how you respond when you hear these words. Is there, is there some recognition? Is there some uh, aversion to it? Like, oh, no, not, not that one. Um, some curiosity? Okay. So settle in, and I'll, and I'll read this list, uh, which comes from... remember who wrote this. It doesn't show. Disturbance. Irritation. Dejection. Worry. Despair. Fear. Dread. Anguish. Anxiety, vulnerability, injury, inability, inferiority, sickness, aging, decay of body and facilities and faculties, senility, pain, pleasure, 
excitement, boredom. Deprivation, excess. Desire, frustration. Suppression. Longing, aimlessness. Hope, hopelessness. Effort, activity. Striving, repression. Loss, want. Insufficiency, satiety. Love, lovelessness. Friendlessness. Dislike, aversion, attraction, parenthood, childlessness, submission, rebellion, decision, indecisiveness, vacillation, uncertainty. Here's a, another list. A basic unsatisfactoriness pervading all existence. Anguish. Anxiety. Affliction. Dissatisfaction. Discomfort. Discontent. Frustration. Misery, sorrow, stress, suffering, uneasiness, unease, unhappiness, unsatisfactoriness. So that's quite a range, right? That's quite a palette of um, experience that we can have that, that um, in all of these things, when, when, they, when they go unnoticed, I think tend to agitate the mind tend to agitate the heart, tend to keep us from a place of peace or ease. Um, You know, for me, often as I read that list, it's like, oh yeah, I think I want to go see a movie now or (laughs) maybe I'll go have ice cream or, you you know, do something. But, you know, the Buddha said, well, this is, if we really want to address these, for the first thing we need to do is recognize that they're present. And then the second noble truth is that there's a cause for these things. There's an underlying cause, which is uh, clinging or craving. The, 
the Pali word is tanha, which is sometimes translated as thirst. So, again, when I go back to Houston, I think about what was it like when I forgot to drink enough water. I suspect we've all had some time in our life where we've somehow, for whatever reason, didn't drink enough water and really got thirsty. You know, maybe you were out on a hike or um, ate some really salty food before you went somewhere that where there wasn't water present. Um, so that there's... So not only is it important to notice the existence of this dukkha, but then also start paying attention to what, um, what is it that we're clinging to or craving that's um, causing this dukkha to arise. Sometimes that clinging or craving is, sometimes it's pointed to as saying desire is the cause of suffering. And I think that's uh, a misinterpretation or a, a misrepresentation. There, there are desires that are healthy and wholesome. You know, the desire to be free. You know, the desire to... Um, care for those we love. So there are desires that um, lead to the kind of happiness that we're looking for. But then there's other desires or wants or um, uh, cravings that are, are really unsatisfiable that they're actually bigger than what it is that we're, we're, we're craving for. I had an experience, um, I guess it was in 2000, I was, I was in northern Sweden working, and I was um, staying at this place called the Ice Hotel. It's a hotel that's made all out of ice and snow. And... They have a bar, and the bar's made all out of ice. <laughs> and uh, it's so cold they can't serve beer because it would freeze. So they had um, flavored vodka in shot glasses made out of ice. <laughs> and, you know, so you'd put, use your gloved hands to take these, these shot glasses and take a shot of, of, of vodka. What's that? Are the beds made out of Well, they are, but then there's um, uh, foam pads on top and, and rain, reindeer skins, and then they give you um, down sleeping bags to sleep in. So, yeah. Actually, part of the suffering comes is after drinking at night when you wake up at 3 in the morning and realize you need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> And you have to get out of this nice warm sleeping bag and get dressed and walk way down the hall to... Uh, the restrooms themselves are not made out of ice. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, the guide told us one morning, they can't, so the, the restrooms are, they're, they're insulated wood structure that's pushed up next to the ice and snow structure. He said one morning he came and he opened, there were two, and he opened the door of one and there were 20 Japanese tourists all huddled in the heated <laughs> restroom. <laughs> so uh, I guess the, the, the thrill of being in this ice hotel had worn off for them before the day was over. Oh, so anyway, so what I found, I'd, I'd have a shot of vodka and I'd be with my friends and everything. And at some point I realized I had this notion that true happiness was just one more drink away. Like, if I had one more shot of vodka, then I'd really be happy. And so when, I, when that dawned on me, then I realized, you know, this is not the path leading to happiness. This is not, not going to get me where I want to go. And so that was the moment I decided to stop drinking. I mean, I didn't, I won't say that I was addicted to alcohol, but I did have an idea that alcohol was going was a path to um, happiness, and in a way, there was a way in which when I would drink, there would be a little you know some of my inhibitions would drop and, and, and there'd be a certain relaxation, but it was always temporary and it always and it had a downside you know the next morning it's like, oh, did I really say that? Did I really do that? So, um, I'm trying to remember where I was going with that. Oh, yeah, so, so what I saw there was that that desire, you know, that thinking one more, like one more drink and then I'd be happy, um, kind of showed that that desire couldn't be satisfied. You know, there was all, you always wanted more, always wanted more. And so that's kind of the differentiator between, I, I, or one of the ways to see the difference between uh, wholesome desire and unwholesome desire. Um, yeah, so... I thought I, I brought all this material. I thought I was going to talk a lot more about dukkha. There's a lot more to be said about it. They've actually categorized, there's actually three categories of dukkha, if you're interested in looking at it. There's the strongest one is called dukkha dukkha, which is, you know, like that's, you know, it's, it's the, the kind of the pain and the, the physical and mental pain that we experience from birth, aging, old age, sickness, death, um, from not getting what we want and from getting what we don't want. So some of those levels of dukkha, of dukkha dukkha, we, we can recognize fairly easily in our lives, you know, like the mosquitoes and the, and the heat and the humidity, you know, those, those things we can we can usually pick up on. Um, there's two other categories of suffering. One of them is um, 
Viparanama Dukkha, which has to do with the suffering that comes from the fact of impermanence. You know, that even if we find what we like, it changes, right? You know, that first teaspoon of Ben and Jerry's ice cream is so good, you know, and then by the time you've reached the end of the container, it's like, it's not very, you know, it's, it doesn't add much, you know, and it's like, oh, I wish I hadn't had all of that. So, you know, impermanence, or um, maybe one of the examples is if you've ever sat in a beautiful place, like I remember sitting with a friend of mine up in Yosemite in the Ten Lakes region, and we were watching this sunset, and it was a gorgeous sunset. And, you know, she took a picture of it, and she took a picture of us. And then the sun sets. And then the sunset's gone, right? So it's nothing wrong with the sunset. It was a beautiful sunset. But, you know, there's, there can be that suffering because it doesn't just, the sun doesn't just linger on the horizon for as long as we want it to. So there's a lot of other experiences that we have like that. Um, you know, so just the fact that all conditioned things in life are impermanent, that... Um, we tend to try to hang we try to hang on to that which cannot be hung on to that's going to change so that's kind of the category of viparanama dukkha and then the third category is um sankara dukkha which is described in a number of different ways but um one of them is just the suffering that sort of comes from having to maintain our bodies you know, like having to brush your teeth every morning, you know, and make the bed, you know. Um, and, um, and also the ego clinging. So... Oh. Well, let me actually see if I think I can read that. Because this was from a Pema Chodron. Um, yeah, Pema Chodron describes this as the suffering of ego clinging, the suffering of struggling with life as it is, as it presents itself to you, struggling against outer situations in yourself, your own emotions and thoughts, rather than just opening and allowing. You know, so that, for me, it's that clinging of, it just shouldn't be this way. You know, this is not right. Some, like, where's, where's the cosmic complaint department? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who can I talk to about my life being this way? <laughs> or things being this way? So, uh, you know, that's... Um, and I, I, sus- I can't speak for all of you, but it, certainly for me, I've had plenty of that. You know, I've just... You know, as a child, you know, you go and you talk to the teacher. You know, teacher, you know, he's he's picking on me. You know, or mom, you know, it's like I'm hungry now. You know, I want to eat now. I can't. I know that she said dinner's going to be ready in five minutes, but I can't wait five minutes. I, you know, give me some cookies. Um, yeah. So, 
see, I think that's as much as I want to say. Now, I want to leave some time for you to, to um, maybe ask questions or make comments. Uh, I'm curious about how, what forms of dukkha you recognize or really don't recognize. You know, the, you know I think probably the, the dukkha we recognize is the easiest. It's, it's the one that we've grown so... Um, we've carefully kept from our own awareness that's the hardest. So, um, yeah, you, you wanted to talk? There's, um, uh, I noticed that somewhere in the could talk you, you mentioned take this microphone? that comes from not getting what we want. Could, yeah, could you use the microphone so that... The, sure. Hello. Oh, okay. Uh, I noticed that at some point in the talk you mentioned the suffering that uh, comes from not getting what we want and getting what we don't want. But I was, then I noticed that just about two minutes later, you also mentioned there's a suffering that comes from getting what we want. Uh, and, right. Uh, the, and I uh, thought that was interesting because what happens is the stories we attach to what we do want then don't pan out when we, mm-hmm. when we get it. So that's, I think, an important... Uh, important thing yeah yeah even if we get what we want then we but then we want to cling to the and we want to hold we want to keep that going like okay well now i've got the new car but then after a month there's a scratch on it or you know <laughs> you know it you no longer has a new car smell so you know the it yeah even if we get what we want it changes Yes. So it was interesting that you mentioned um, maintenance of of the body that can you know create dukkha because our, Andrea talked about in one of her Dharma talks how she was washing her hair and she suddenly realized how impatient she was washing her hair and I thought well that's weird <laughs> I don't get impatient when I wash my hair and of course once I started paying attention I realized I do get impatient washing my hair and it's you know, there, Duke can, it just can be very, very subtle. It's just sort of this feeling of anxiousness that you just want to be done with whatever it is that you're engaging in. So I thought that was um, an interesting thing to become aware of. Great, great. Yeah, that's... Um, this practice isn't easy. You know, it requires a lot of self-compassion. Because we start to see these things. We start to see. Where's the, where did this impatience come from? And wh- why do I, wa- I want to live a life of impatience? <laughs> and yet, <clears throat> when you start paying attention, it's like, oh yeah, there is that there. So, um, so I didn't get to the third note, but the third noble truth is that it, that it is possible for for dukkha to end. So as we, as we pay attention to the clinging, over time, it's possible for that clinging to, to um, release and the suffering to end. So I guess if there's only two noble truths, that would be pretty depressing. <laughs> but there is a possibility for the ending of it. So, And the fourth noble truth is the Eightfold Path, which is there is a there is a path laid out 
by the Buddha for cultivating a way to see the dukkha, to see the clinging, and for experiencing the release. How does the dukkha relate to karma? Or you know the, you know the, you know the past. Mm. I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a direct relationship. Yeah, that's a well. That's a a big question, right? Oh yeah. So John had asked, how does karma relate to dukkha, or dukkha relate to karma? Well, dukkha is really, you know, the the collected effects of all our past actions and uh, our intentions. So, I suppose, in a way, there's there's kind of a, a momentum to our actions. If we've been avoiding looking at at these things, if we've been avoiding looking at the dukkha and we've been avoiding looking at the clinging, then we have a propensity to keep doing that. So what, where we do have a choice is in the current moment when we recognize, oh yeah, there's dukkha present. Can I turn towards it? Can I look at it? Can I look at the clinging? You know, these things that that we've sort of um, maybe conditioned ourselves not to look at. If we have the intention, okay, this time I'm going to recognize it and I'm going to look at it and look for the, the possibility of release, then there's a, you know, a different kind of karma that gets generated by the turning towards rather than the turning away from. Yes. John, thank you. So I was uh, listening, and just all of a sudden got really depressed as you were saying that none of these are the path to lasting happiness, which, you know, on some level I know, but I just felt it when you said that, and I thought, well, what is? And um, So the Eightfold Path, if we follow it, supposedly, and practice it, that will eventually lead us to more peace with all these conditions of life. And circumstances. Yeah. Well, I. I want to guarantee. I'm not fully free. <laughs> You're asking the wrong person, but that's. But it's a very good question. It's a very good question. Um, I think part of this practice is noticing moment to moment. Like for me, it was like when I noticed, oh, mosquitoes, oh, itching. There was a certain happiness, like oh. You know, I'm not, I'm not, what do you call it, the one being oppressed by these mosquitoes. You know, they're doing what they're doing because that's kind of how they, they do their lives. But there was a certain happiness going, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, this is how it is. But it wasn't, it wasn't, um, Well, partly I was happy because I thought, boy, I'm going to be able to use this in a Dharma talk. <laughs> you know? And, and I've told this, 
this story, I've related this, this Houston experience. Actually, just last night I was with a, a friend of mine that was visiting from the East Coast. And um, I found just a, a happy, you know, just that momentary happiness that comes from recognizing that um, there's a way for me to be free even in the midst of um, discomfort. Um, and then on another level, I find that as I've you know, been able to spend more time with long-term practitioners, certainly Gil and Andrea, um, my, I'm in this group, we used to call ourselves the Dharma bums, um, who are kind of senior students that, that do a lot of teaching, that as I spend time with them, there's um, not only joy that comes up for me, but also that I can um, delight in their joy. You know, there's this uh, sympathetic joy, mudita, that comes up. And so, um, yeah, so I think, I think I've, I've been able to tap into that joy more. And then also, you know, even that moment of recognizing this is, I forget what word you use, sad or depressing? Depressing. Depressing. <laughs> Noticing, oh, depressing. Oh, yeah, look at my... Notice how the energy is dropping. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. What am I thinking? You know, like, oh, yeah. You know, whatever, you know, kind of like, oh, depression. Now that that's started, that's the way it's going to be for the rest of my life, right? It's just like, oh, yeah, depression. That, you know, that's, that's also impermanent. You know, so there's suffering in the things that we like being impermanent, that we can't hang on to them. But there's also some joy in the things we don't like are also impermanent. And so, so that, the, you know, that if you pay attention to, if you notice that and pay attention to it, then you can notice, oh, yeah, this isn't, this isn't a fixed and stationary thing. It's something that arises and passes. And so um, there can also be freedom by just recognizing that. So does that, does that help? Okay, yes. I wasn't going to come today, and I'm really glad I did. <laughs> um, suffering. Uh, the first thing I have to say is that as you were talking, um, there's a saying, I believe it's the Buddha saying, that I'm trying to kind of not make a mantra of, but at least say it to myself once a day, which is, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And when you were talking about that, and I was relating to so much of it, I was like, that's me, that's me, that's mm -hmm. me. Um, it helped to see that and rea realize it at some level that all of that dukkha is, it's almost like we can choose those sufferings. But the point of the mindfulness meditation is to release them and not choose them anymore. 
Well, that certainly can be an option. Yeah, I think so. Because sometimes I think, especially when you're talking about clinging, um, I dissociated as a child because of what I come from. And sometimes I think I hold on to that because it gives me a story mm-hmm. of my life. But it's not a story that's conducive to mindfulness as in being here mm-hmm. now. So I, I, I guess what I'm trying, where I'm going with all this is I really want to thank you for mm-hmm. what you've said today. And I'm hoping that I will <laughs> internalize some of it. Um, I just I'm I'm feeling some uh, serious gratitude right now for what you've talked about, mm. and so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> well, beautiful. Thank you. Okay, so we're we're five minutes past eleven. So thank you all for coming today, and thank you for your practice. And um, may you all find freedom from from Duca. <laughs>